we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Aloneness is something entirely different. Only the mind which is alone is not influenceable. This means the mind has understood the principle of pleasure, and therefore nothing can touch it. Hello and welcome to episode 167 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from our archives representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is aloneness. Upcoming themes are technology, insecurity and selfishness. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of advert-free, full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features hundreds of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on aloneness has six sections. This first extract is from the second talk in Sarnan 1972, titled, It is Important to Stand Completely Alone. We were saying the other day how important it is that seeing what the various types of organizations are, both religious, secular, and social structure, how corrupt they are, inevitably they are, and to belong to any of them prevents not only the unburdening of one's conditioning, but also prevents one from seeing things clearly. So we said that it is important to stand completely alone, not belonging to any group, sect, following any guru or teacher, 
and being able to stand completely alone so that we can bring about a quite a different kind of society. That's what we are more or less saying day before yesterday morning. I do not know if you see the importance of it. I do not know if you recognize or have an insight into this question. Because most of us are very confused. We don't know what to do. There are so many demands, pressures that most of us lean on somebody. We want to be guided. We want to be told what to do. In ourselves we have no clarity. And naturally there are those who say that they are very clear, that they are in a state of enlightenment or freedom and so on. And being uncertain, confused ourselves, we more or less yield to their persuasion. And so become not only more conditioned, but accept a new form of conditioning. I don't know if you see the importance of this. Because if we are so conditioned, it is inevitable that our mind becomes almost mechanical. Right? Please, you know, as we said the other day, we are sharing this thing together. And I really mean it. We are thinking over these problems together and therefore understanding it together. It's not, I am telling you what to think or how to think, but rather together investigate, understand, have an insight into all these problems so that you are very clear at the end of it, so that in that clarity you stand alone. Because one must create or bring about a totally different kind of society, a totally different kind of human being. And more and more, as one sees what is happening in the world, the greater the demand of such a human being. And it is only the mind that is really capable (coughs) of standing alone in the sense, not belonging to any group, any party, any community, 
any set of dogmas, beliefs, conclusions. It is only such a mind that can be creative. I think we have to go into that question of what is creation? What is, is, what is it to be creative? Because if that is not clear, we are apt to follow those things that, are, that make the mind more and more mechanical, more and more dependent, more and more attached. You see this. So what is creation? What is it to be creative? Because if you are not creative, inevitably you will be fragmented accept authority, follow all the absurdities of escapes. So one has to understand very clearly for oneself what it means to be creative in this world, right? I do not know what to you that word means. It is not surely creating some physical thing which is new, new invention, new mode of speech, new painting, new kind of music. We are talking of a mind that is alone and therefore capable of being creative, right? <laughs> Most of us are in conflict. Most of us are caught in a various kinds of demands, not only physical but environmental, social and so on. We depend on each other, both physically and psychologically. And therefore, our whole nature, psychological structure, is fragmented. Right? You are following this? Please observe it in yourself. Can a mind that is fragmented 
contradictory in itself, be creative. Or does creation take place when there is this absence of the continuity of fragmentation? I don't know if you follow on this. Does this interest you? Because you see, if we are not creative in the deeper sense of that word in which we are going, we are bound to escape from the central fact of deep frustration, right? And the escapes become very important, whether they are religious escapes, political escapes, sexual escapes, or escapes into good works. So the escapes become all important, and not the factor of this fragmentation in which a mind is called, right? Please do follow this. Hmm? And observing this in oneself, how one is fragmented, contradictory, being pulled by different desires, demands. How is a mind to be free in which alone there can be creation? The second extract is from Krishnamurti's 13th talk in Ojai, 1949, titled You Must Be Alone to Understand. What is aloneness? Is it a mystical state? Does it imply freeing oneself from relationship? Is aloneness a way to understanding? Or is it an escape from outward conflict and inward pressure? Do not most of us, a lot most of us, trying to isolate ourselves in relationship. We try to possess people, we try to dominate people, which is a form of isolation, is it not? Our beliefs, our ideas are a form of isolation. When we withdraw, when we renounce, it's a form of isolation, is it not? The inward pressures and outward conflicts force us to protect ourselves, to enclose ourselves. That's a form of isolation, is it not? 
And through isolation can there be any understanding? Do I understand you if I resist you? If I enclose myself with my ideas, with my prejudices, of my criticism of you and so on, so on? I can only under, I can understand you only when I am not isolated, when there is no barrier between us, either verbal or psychological states of moods and idiosyncrasies. But to understand, I must be alone, mustn't I? Alone in the sense, unenclosed, uninfluenced. Most of us are put together, made up of memories, of idiosyncrasies, of prejudices, of innumerable influences. And through all that we try to understand something. How can there be understanding when we are things produced, brought together, made up? And when, we, when there is a freedom from that, there is an aloneness, which is not an escape. On the contrary, it's the understanding of all these things that bring about an aloneness which, with which you meet directly, life. If we are a mass of opinion, beliefs, when we are put together, we think We are an integrated being. Or we try to seek integration with all these burdens. Surely there can be only integration. Not only at the superficial level, but completely right through. When there is a freedom from all these, through understanding, not merely throwing them aside, but really understanding all the influences that are constantly impinging upon one, the beliefs, the memories, the idiosyncrasies and so on, then as one begins to understand these, there is an aloneness which is not contradiction, which is not an opposite of the collective or the individual It, it, if you would understand something, aren't you alone? Aren't you completely integrated at that moment? Is not your attention completely given? And through withdrawal, can there be any understanding? Through resistance, can there be any understanding? When you renounce something, does that bring understanding? Surely understanding comes not through resistance, not through withdrawal, not through renunciation. Only when you understand, when there is the full, when you understand the full significance of a problem, then the problem disappears. You don't have to renounce it. You don't have to renounce wealth. 
sudden, obvious greed. But when you are capable of looking at it directly, without any criticism, passively aware of it, it drops away from you. And in that state of passive awareness, is there not complete attention, not as an opposite, exclusive concentration? It is not an exclusive concentration. It's an awareness in which there is no contradiction. And therefore, loneliness disappears. Most of us are lonely. Most of us are single. There is no, no depth. We come to an end very quickly. And it is this loneliness that creates the withdrawals, the escapes, the covering up. And when, if we would understand that loneliness, we must discard all these coverings and be with it. It is that being is alone. Then you are uninfluenced. Then there is, you are not caught with moods. And it is essential to be alone which most of us dread. We never go out, hardly, ever by ourselves. The radio, the magazine, the newspapers, the books. Or if we haven't that, we are occupied with our own thoughts. The mind is never quiet. It is this quietness that is alone. That aloneness is not in, induced. It is not made, made up. When there is a lot of noise and you are silent, it is alone, is it not? You must be alone. If you are a success, then there is something obviously wrong. Whereas most of us seek success. And that's why we are never alone. We are lonely. But we are never alone. It's only when there is aloneness, then you can meet that which is true. Which has no comparison. And as most of us are afraid to be alone, we build various refuges, various safeties, various escapes, and give them big sounding names. They offer marvelous escapes. 
But they are all illusions. They have no significance. So only when we see that they have no significance, actually not verbally, then you are alone. Then the alone can go. Can really understand. Which means that we have to strip ourselves of all the past experiences. Of memories. Of sensations which we have built so sedulously and regard so carefully. Surely an unconditioned mind can only understand that which is unconditioned. Reality. And to uncondition the mind, one must face not only loneliness, but go beyond. Not hold on to memories that are crowding in. For memories are mere words. Words that have sensations. It's only then when the mind is utterly quiet, uninfluenced, then is it possible for, for it to realize that which is. The third extract is from the third talk in Sanan, 1962, titled The Mind is Alone When It Has Understood Influence. So please listen to it as though you are yourself working and not I working for you. Most of us are apt to go to have football and watch the players. We don't take part in it. We just listen and enjoy the play. I'm afraid it's not at all like that here. Here you have to work as hard as the speaker, otherwise it has no value at all. I mean by work, not only listen to what is being said and see if that is applicable to yourself and see the fact and see the falseness of the tr or the truth of what is being said and to see the fact is not to deny, is not to accept but be so vitally aware that every word, every meaning of that word, every nuance you capture and you apply, you look, you dig into yourself. That's what I mean by work. And if you do it, you will see when you leave this tent, you will be virtuous.
and I really mean by that, you will be virtuous. So one has to understand authority, which is really the psychological demand to be secure, both physiologically as well as psychologically, to be certain, to be secure, to know that you are following the right path, never to be in a state <coughs> of uncertainty. Most of us hate to be uncertain about anything, especially about ourselves. <coughs> but you see, one has to be uncertain to find out. One has to be free from all authority, from all following, from all obedience. And that's a very difficult thing to do. I'm using the word freedom not as a reaction. Freedom doesn't mean that you are a prisoner and then you react to that and wish to be free. And the reaction of the desire to be free is not freedom. It's only when you understand for yourself the, your own imprisonment of words, of influence, of authority, understanding it, not reacting against it, then out of that understanding there is freedom. <coughs> So, authority, whether of the priest, whether of the politician, whether of the, your next-door neighbour or of the book or of the specialist, and especially the authority of your own experience, all this has to be understood. And again, to understand something, mind must be in a state of negation. To understand your child, you must watch him at play, crying, eating, sleeping. And when you compare what you are watching with another child, then you are not watching that child. So in the same way to observe the instinctual desire to obey, to follow, to conform, to imitate. That must be gone into very deeply within oneself. The language that one uses, the English that one is speaking, as the speaker is, it is obviously conformity to a pattern of of language. 
But to deny that pattern and not speak English would be absurd and would be no way of communicating with each other. We are talking not <coughs> of the obvious and necessary acceptance of certain facts to which you agree, <coughs> but we are talking of the psychological acceptances, psychological imitations, conformities. And this conformity is essentially the desire to be secure, never to go wrong, and always seeking success in this world or psychologically to arrive somewhere. And therefore, obedience becomes extraordinarily important, the acceptance of social, psychological structure of society. Then if one has understood that, then you will find that virtue, the essence of virtue, is aloneness. If you are not completely, totally alone, you are not virtuous. I mean by that word alone, a mind that has understood influence and is not affected by it, is not captured by it, a mind that is no longer seeking power and therefore no longer seeking authority, obedience, following. A mind that is alone from all <coughs> psychological influence, and that word alone is not a reaction, <coughs> it is not an escape from the crowd. It is not becoming a hermit, a withdrawing, living in isolation. Those are all reactions. And I mean by that word alone something entirely different from loneliness. And I'm, it is not the occasion now to discuss, to go into this question of loneliness. We will another time. But this quality of aloneness, and it is very difficult to communicate the significance or the meaning of that word to another, to be alone. One is never alone. You may withdraw into the mountains and live a, as a hermit, but you have all the ideas, the experiences, the knowledge and the tradition of what has been with you still when you are by yourself. The monk in a monastery 
the Christian monk in a monastery is not alone. He is with his Jesus, with his Christ, with his knowledge, with his tradition, with his conditioning. And the sannyasi in India who withdraws from the world and lives in isolation is not alone. He lives with his memories. I am talking of an aloneness that is totally free from all this. And it's only such a mind that is virtuous. And out of that aloneness there is innocence. Perhaps you will say, that's too much. One can't live like that in this stupid world, earn a livelihood, go to the office every day, have children, wives, nagging, husbands, bullying, and all the rest of it. I think it is directly related to life, of everyday action. Otherwise it has no value at all what is being said. Because, you see, out of this aloneness with its extraordinary virtue, which is, which is virile, which has an extraordinary sense of purity and gentleness, it doesn't matter if it makes mistakes, that is of very little importance. But to have this feeling of being completely alone, uncontaminated. It's only such a mind that can go or be aware of something that is beyond the word, beyond the name, beyond all imagination and projection. The fourth extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Madras, 1964, titled Aloneness is Not Loneliness. The ending of sorrow is possible. Don't say, have you finished with sorrow? That is not important. Doesn't matter who has, who has not. What matters is, that you are in sorrow. For whatever reason, for whatever cause, whatever misery, misfortune, anxiety, despair, you are, you are that. Whether you can end it is more important than to find out whether somebody else has ended it. If I say yes, it has no importance. If I say no, it has no importance. What has importance is your life, how you live, And there is also this sorrow deep down, not of the race only, of the family, of man who has lived 
two million years and endless sorrow and agony and despair. And there is the sorrow of loneliness. I do not know if you have ever been lonely. <coughs> you know, when you suddenly realize that you have no relationship with anybody, not an intellectual realization, but factual thing that is as concrete as this microphone. And you are completely isolated. Every form of thought and emotion are blocked. You can't turn anywhere. There is nobody to turn to. The gods, the angels, they have all gone behind the clouds. And as the clouds vanish, they have also vanished. You are completely alone, lonely. I won't use the word alone. Alone is quite a different meaning. Alone has beauty. To be alone means something entirely different. And you must be alone. When man frees himself from the social structure of greed, envy, ambition, arrogance, achievement, status, when he frees himself from those, from those, then he is completely alone. That's a quite a different thing. Then there is great beauty, great, the freeing of great energy. But loneliness is not that. Loneliness is this complete sense of being isolated from everything. I do not know if you have felt it. The more you are awake, the more you are questioning, the more you are looking, asking, demanding, the more you are aware of it. Deep down your consciousness, at all the levels, feels completely cut off. And that's one of the great sorrows, not being able to go beyond it. And being caught in that tremendous feeling of loneliness, which is great with its great energy, it isn't just a feeling of it has got vitality, a drive, an insistency, an ugliness. And so we escape from it. In every form, either we are terribly clever, write books about that loneliness and worship that loneliness, or you run away, amuse yourself and never, never, never touch it.
and it remains there, hidden, but like a cancerous wound, it is there, coming, waiting, waiting. One has to come into contact with that, again non-verbally, but actually. The fifth extract is from the fourth talk in London, 1961, titled, In Aloneness There Is No Fear. We want to be secure in this world, our next meal, our health, and we want to be secure in our respectability. We want to be secure in our ideals. We want to be quite sure what happens after death. And what and our mind is everlastingly pursuing, if you observe it this demand, this desire to be certain. And I do not see how the mind can be free of fear with all its frustrations as long as the mind is seeking security. Obviously there must be physical security, you must have, we must know where the next food is coming, food is coming, where you go to sleep, and all the rest of it. And that is fairly decent societies organizing that. Probably in about fifty years' time we'll, the whole of the world will have security, physical security. At least let's hope, that's irrelevant. But we want to be secure in our actions. We want to be secure inwardly. And is that not the cause of fear? Fear of darkness, fear of what one's, of one's neighbour, public opinion, fear of losing health, fear of not having capacity, fear of being nobody in this monstrous, aggressive, acquisitive world. Fear of not arriving, achieving, of not realizing some state of supreme happiness, bliss or whatever it is God. And of course there is the ultimate fear of death. We are not discussing for the moment death. We just seeing what, what is fear, trying to uncover what is fear. Obviously fear is something in relation to something else. There is no fear by itself, per se, 
There is fear in relation to something. I am afraid of my wife. alone but it's no longer seeking security. And can one come, can one free, can the mind free itself so totally from all no time, the tomorrow, the day after tomorrow and the future, 
There was no time as tomorrow. Would there be fear of death, of, of an ending? No, don't answer me, please. It's not, it is not a question of your answer, me and my... <coughs> But if you have gone into the question of fear, you must have uncovered this question of time. Not only tomorrow, but of the past. Which means experience. Can the mind Be so alone, totally, away from the past and the future, so that it is not enclosed in the fence of time. So the mind is seeking security through identifying itself with an idea, with a belief, with a particular course of action, committing itself to a group of ideas, belonging to Christianity, to Hinduism, to Buddhism, to this or that. which is also this urge to, to belong, which is contrary to this, to being alone. And most of us are terribly frightened of being alone. Leave that for the moment. We'll go into that a little later. Then there is conflict which arises from contradiction and the, this contradiction is the demand to fulfill And so there is this constant urge to fulfill, to be, to become. To be something perfect. And there is the question of time. So these are all the factors of fear. We can enlarge it, we can go into much, into greater details, but that's not, that's not of great importance for the moment.
having seen the picture, the feeling of the totality of the picture, can the mind wipe away all fear, <coughs> which means really, if one can put it in if it, how if you will not misunderstanding, misunderstand what is being said. To be alone without a mist. And that aloneness is not the opposite of this contradiction which which conflict which relationship creates. I feel in that aloneness there is real relationship, not enough. In that there is no fear. Man has tackled this problem of fear for centuries, millennia. And we don't seem to be free of it. And the extreme forms of fear leads to various forms of neurosis, and so on, so on, so on. Now, can, can you and I be, be on the instant so totally free from fear? Not hypnotize ourselves and say, I am free of fear, of course that's silly. Now this is what I mean by seeing. But by seeing the whole of fear, which means essentially the non-being. The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's sixth talk in Madras, 1966, titled Silence Comes Because There Is Aloneness. All this brings us to a certain point, which is that one must be a complete light to oneself. We are not. 
we rely on others. As you are listening, you are relying on me, on the speaker, to tell you. But if you listen very carefully, the speaker is not telling you what to do, he is asking you to examine. How to examine? What is implied in the examination? Therefore, you are becoming a you are you are a light to yourself. You understand? By examining very carefully, you are free of all dependence, and you become you you are a light to yourself. I must withdraw the word become. You are a light to yourself. That means you are completely alone. Right? Because we are not alone. We are not we are lonely. We are the result of so many centuries of culture, propaganda, influence, climate, food, dress, what people have said and have not and so on, so on. Therefore, you are you are not alone. You are a result. And to be a light to oneself, you have to become you are alone. Because you have discarded the whole psychological structure of society, of pleasure, of conflict. Therefore, you are alone. And to understand this aloneness is not something to be dreaded. Something which is painful. It's only when there is isolation, when there is loneliness, then there is pain, then there is anxiety, then there is fear. Aloneness is something entirely different because it's only the mind which is alone, which means not influenceable. Which means that you have understood the principle of pleasure, and therefore nothing can touch you, can touch the mind. Flattery, fame, <coughs> capacity, a gift, nothing. And that aloneness is essential. Because when you See the sunset attentively. You're alone, aren't you? Beauty is always alone. Not in this stupid, isolating sense, but the quality of a mind that has that has gone beyond propaganda, personal like and dislike, that is not functioning on pleasure. 
such a mind, when it perceives beauty, and it can only perceive beauty in aloneness. And to come to that extraordinary sense of a mind that is not influenceable and therefore freed itself from the environmental conditioning and the conditioning of tradition and so on and so on. It's only such a mind that can proceed in its aloneness to examine or to observe what is silence. Because it's only in silence you can hear those screeching owls. If you are chattering with your problems, etc., etc., and so on, you'll never hear those owls. Because of silence you hear. Because of silence you act. Because action is life. When you understand desire, pleasure, thought, and therefore you have discarded all authority, because the authority of every inwardly, outwardly, has led you nowhere. Therefore you have lost total faith in all authority, inwardly especially. Therefore you don't rely on anybody. Therefore you through your examination of thought, pleasure, you are alone. And being alone implies silence. You cannot be alone if you are not silent. And out of that silence is action. This is rather... this needs further examination. To us action is based on idea. I have an idea, a principle, a belief, a dogma, and according to that I act. If I can approximate that action according to my idea, I think I am a very sincere man, a very noble man. And therefore, so, there is always a difference between idea and action, and hence conflict. Where there is conflict of any kind, there is no nobility. There is no clarity. You may be outwardly very saintly, lead a very so-called simple life, which is one loincloth and a meal, that's not a simple life. Simple life is something much more demanding, much more 
far deeper than that, which is simple life, is a life with which there is no conflict. So, silence comes because there is aloneness, and that silence is beyond consciousness, consciousness which is pleasure, thought, and the machinery of all that, conscious or unconscious. In that field there is no… there can never be silence, and therefore in that field any action will always be confusing will always bring sorrow, will always create misery. It is only when there is action out of this silence, then sorrow ends, because unless the mind is free from sorrow, personal or otherwise, free completely, it lives in darkness, in fear and in anxiety, and therefore whatever its action will always be confusing, confusing. Whatever its choice will always bring conflict. So when one understands all that, there is silence. And where there is silence, there is action. Silence itself is action, not silence and then act. So probably it has never happened to you to be completely silent. And if you are silent, you can speak out of that silence, though you have memories, experiences, knowledge. If you had no knowledge, you would not be able to speak at all. But. When there is silence, out of that silence there is action, and therefore that action is never complicated, never confusing, never contradictory. And when one has understood this principle of pleasure, thought and aloneness, and this emptiness of silence, then if one has gone that far, not in question of time but actually, then you can ask, or rather, then because there is total attention and therefore a, a silence in which there is total inaction. And which inaction is action, because it is totally inactive, there is a there is an explosion. It is only then, when there is a total explosion, there is a there is the there is something new taking place. 
new, which is not based on recognition, therefore not experienceable. Therefore, it's not I experience or you. I experiencing you come and learn from me how to experience it. So all these things come naturally, easily when we understand this phenomena of existence, which is a relationship. That relationship is confusion, misery, and to bring about a tremendous deep mutation, change in it. You must understand desire, pleasure, thought, and understand the nature of aloneness. And then, out of that comes silence, and that silence, because it is totally inactive, and when it is demanded to act, it acts. But it is completely inactive. Therefore, without having any movement, there is an explosion. You know, scientists are saying galaxies are formed when matter ceases to move. There is an explosion. And it is only when there is an explosion, a new mind, a, a, a truly religious mind, comes into being. And it is only the religious mind that can solve the human problem.